Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond Jr. Today I'm joined by Paul Romick Levitt and Brian Davis from the Torn Curtain Arts team. Paul is president, worship leader, and worship coach, and he has been a worship pastor and creative director in Denver since 2001. He's a co author with Greg Steer of the book Q Lines Time to Act and has written and directed plays that have been performed for over 500,000 people around the country. He loves helping churches and other companies overcome their creative obstacles. In fact, he was recently hired as creative director at Waterstone Church in Littleton, Colorado. He lives in Broomfield with his wife and two daughters. Brian Davis is the vice president at Torn Curtain Arts. He is also a worship leader and worship coach. He has been leading worship in the Denver metro area for the last 22 years and has built relationships with dozens of churches all over the city. Authenticity and empathy have been hallmarks of Brian's leadership, and his intention is to use these attributes to coach other worship leaders and inspire greater creativity and deeper spiritual practice in the local church. Brian has three daughters, and he and his wife, Jess, live in Lakewood, Colorado. He also serves part-time as the worship arts director at New Denver Church. All right, welcome to the show. My guests today are Paul Romick-Levitt and Brian Davis of Torn Curtain Arts. This is your host, Lauren Richmond Jr., and welcome, gentlemen. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me back, long, Lauren. Long-time listener, first-time guest. Yes. First this, time, this is my first time being a guest on any podcast. Wow. That's not true. It is true. Yeah. Oh, I went. Wow. I just skipped all that and went straight to being a host. You went, yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah. you know what they say: those who can't guest <laughs> host. <laughs> is that what they say? I can say somebody that. does. <laughs> well, this is a this is a fun first for me. It's my first actual in person interview. Oh, yeah. Since yeah. oh, ever, ever. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. So we'll, we'll be gentle. Yeah, please do be gentle. And if things are a little crazier than normal, it's because of that. So um, Brian – no, not Brian. I'm getting you guys backwards. Paul has actually been on the show before. So listeners, if you go back to season one, I have an interview with him and Justin Bullis. Uh, But Brian, since this is your first time ever as a guest, um, would you share with our listeners kind of a little bit more about yourself, your faith journey? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. so, uh, yeah, I'm born and raised here in Colorado, uh, and, uh, yeah, one of those few natives, but I'm not snooty about it. So mm-hmm. don't worry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, born in a little town in the Northeast Plains, grew up in a, a Christian home. Um, always had this sense, uh, that I was going to be doing something with, with music and or ministry, uh, most of my life. And, um, and that was the that was the road I took. Um, went to a small private Christian university uh, in Lakewood, and um, got a music ministry degree. I've worked in churches uh, pretty much ever since I moved to to the Denver area. So, um, so yeah, twenty five years I've been I've been in paid professional ministry, doing music, leading worship, um, 
And uh, yeah, that's that's what I have been doing. What I do now, I work at a, at a New Denver Church in uh, in Denver, Colorado, and um, also work with Paul at Torn Curtain Arts. And um, you know, that's so. I'm in the <laughs> middle of telling my story. It in post. Uh, <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, so I've been here for, uh, I've been on staff here for five years, um, and, uh, did some freelance work with them before, ever since mm-hmm. the, the church started. But, uh, but yeah, I've worked at a variety of, of different churches, uh, in the Denver area, big churches, small churches. And, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of at least my work story. Um, my faith journey, uh, I, you know, gave my life to Christ, I'm, yeah. doing, I'm doing air quotes with my air fingers. Quotes for um, our listeners. I uh, grew up, you know, in a in a Baptist church, and so that was what you did. You, yeah, you know, yeah. you gave your life to Christ, and you walked forward after a specific message. But I didn't, I didn't follow all those rules. Like I, uh, we, it was just a normal Sunday. It wasn't like a like we're going to give the gospel message type of Sunday. And it was after the sermon, they were doing the closing hymn, and I just started weeping hmm. and I had no, I was 11 years old, mm-hmm. um, had no idea why my dad leaned over. He's like, are you okay? And I yeah. said, I, I think I need Jesus. Wow. And, uh, and so my dad took me up front. Of course, the pastor was completely bewildered. Like, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with this. Like mm-hmm. we didn't plan for this. Right. Um, and you know, he asked me what was going on. I told him like, I think I need Jesus. So we, you know, I prayed the prayer right there up front and they made the announcement, you know, after the closing hymn and, and, uh, was whisked away immediately after the service to the pastor's office so that we could make sure that it was really like, this yeah. is really what I yeah. was doing. And it gave me my first Bible and all that um. kind of stuff. And, and uh, a few weeks later I was baptized. Um, and then that summer we went to Disneyland. So I like to say like, mm. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. What are you going to do now? <laughs> I'm going to Disneyland. Disney so, uh, so yeah, that was uh, ever since then it's, it's just kind of been, um, you know, kind of growing up in a very, you know, not, I don't want to say strict, but like yeah. it was a, it was a staunch, yeah. very evangelical Baptist tradition. Um, but my parents were, you know, they were both kind of mainline. My mom, my dad was Methodist growing up. My mom mm-hmm. was Episcopalian. After they got married, they got caught up in the Jesus movement. And, mm-hmm. and so there mm-hmm. was this like undercurrent of like, um, <clears throat> of charismatic, you know, faith and, and, and belief going through all of that. Um, and then, you know, we went to the Episcopal church for a while. Then we were at a Baptist church. My parents were part of a small group that did their like, you know, kind of weird, crazy charismatic thing, mm-hmm. you know, in people's homes. Um, and, you know, every, probably about once a quarter, we'd, you know, we'd skip town and, you know, go to a, you know, go to a city that had a large, you know, charismatic church or something wow. like that. And so I had that exposure um, plus, you know, all the Baptist stuff, a little bit of the Episcopal stuff. Um, so I, I kind of, you know, I'm sort of a religious mutt, I guess yeah. you could say. Um, but I think now later on, um, I feel like each of those individual things really kind of informs my, my own faith and, mm-hmm. and the way that I lead worship, the way that I look at just the church in general. Yeah. Um, and it, it's... I feel like now, especially as I, you know, I'm moving into my mid forties, like I have a lot of, I have a lot more compassion for, (laughs) 
for the church in general, having yeah. seen both the best and the worst yeah. that all of those different traditions can mm-hmm. can provide. Um, and then also, you know, my working experience, working in a, you know, small church plant to working at, you know, one of the largest and fastest growing churches in the country, then, you know, leaving that and going to another, you know, large, fast growing church and now working at, at New Denver, which is trying to find this, you know, sort of this mix of mm-hmm. evangelicalism and, you know, more liturgical practices and, and kind of Anglican, more of an Anglican approach to how we, you know, how we worship, um, you know, all of those things. It's like, none of this is necessarily wrong. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. all different. Yeah. Um, and so at least from a work perspective, that's where I'm at personally, um, you know, all of those experiences plus a handful of other life experiences over the last decade um, have all brought me to a place of like, okay, what is all this? Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, what does all this mean? Why is, you know, not necessarily why is this happening uh, and not even necessarily why, you know, what am I supposed to be learning during all this? It's just a lot of like, just why, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and what, you know, what is going on? So, um, so you caught me on a, on a good day. Um, yeah. and, uh, and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm ready to, to talk about, you know, church and ministry and the future of, of the church and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing all that, bro. Oh, yeah. 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 That's, I think, you know, that's something perhaps similar, uh, backgrounds, Myself growing up Baptist, and I think about you know you're mentioning like liturgy. Mm-hmm. You didn't use the word ritual, but certainly that's a yeah. a thing in there. And I, many people who don't grow up Baptist or are not familiar with that tradition, like the going forward aspect yeah. in a service is is perhaps a ritual. And again, oh absolutely, you know, yeah. uh, someone from that tradition certainly wouldn't recognize it as <laughs> sure. such. Yeah, but it's a meaningful ritual. Yeah. Um, yep. And myself having a very similar diverse. Uh, working uh, path. I joke. I work now in five Christian traditions. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I really appreciate the different aspects mm-hmm. of each faith tradition. Uh, so it's it's awesome that you can bring that similar experience. Oh. Mm-hmm. Let me ask um, to not leave Paul out here entirely. Uh, Paul, one question I've been asking folks who've been on the guest or mm-hmm. who I've on, had on as guest before is what's a what's a uh, spiritual practice that's maybe sustained you mm-hmm. during these really rough years of COVID? Um, I would say the one that comes to the top of my mind is running. Mm-hmm. Running has been the way that yeah. like uh, prayer has um, morphed in my life over, you know, I grew up uh, in the sim- similar ways, kind of evangelical backgrounds. And so praying and prayers had a very sort of, scripted and uh, very, very clear um, sort of form and uh, contemplative prayer mm-hmm. or anything like that um, wasn't something I didn't, I didn't discover until much later in my life. Um, but then I think it was when I turned 40, I started running and it's been the thing that I'm not good at it still. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I still struggle to do it. Like I, I was much better maybe uh, last year and, and still struggle, but it's something that now I allow to sort of flow in and out a little bit like what I understand like meditation mm-hmm. is. Um, so, you know, that and 
that's a that's that's probably the the most consistent spiritual practice, and that has definitely helped quite a bit. Yeah, Brian, how about you? Yeah, similar question. Yeah, similar answer. Um, I, you know, contemplative prayer, uh, more contemplative practices um, have been uh, a big part of leading up to, but also during uh, during COVID. Um, you know, it was you, you didn't have that large group experience anymore mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that so many of us kind of cut our spiritual teeth on. And so once that's taken away, um, I was fortunate that, that I was exposed to a lot of those things at an early age, but also, um, you know, like I said, in my, my role here at new Denver, um, that those were things that we were starting to engage with pre COVID. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so it was sort of a, an easy, an easy thing when, you know, okay, I can't like, we don't have these, you know, I'm not going to the church. I'm not standing on stage and leading worship for people, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, in some ways were, were kind of the only spiritual practices that I sometimes had. You yeah. Know? It was like, yeah. this is my role. This Gets is my, this is my job. A little yeah. Bit. Yeah. And yeah. I mm-hmm. yeah. Sorry. I don't want to give anything yeah. away, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, to, to make that, you know, more of a personal, personal practice, yeah. um, things like, um, the examine, uh, you know, practice from, from Ignatius, that's become a big part mm-hmm. of, uh, of kind of how I spend, those those private times and and um that sounded weird that's how i spend those you have private those times. private times um i but, like to spend my private times with ignatius with Ign- <laughs> that's right <laughs> he visits only on tuesdays and but, thursdays that's and right <laughs> that's right but that's been that's been really helpful um but even you know leaning leaning back into uh you know older prayers or or um you know like some of those scripted prayers or prayers yeah. that are written yeah. out. Um, there's an app that I have on my computer called universalis, which is a, it's a more um, kind of breaks down the the year. It's a very, you know, kind of a daily uh, more Catholic um, approach to, to personal prayer and things like that. But, but sometimes when, you know, when I'm feeling like, you know, God is far away or I'm feeling like I just can't, I can't quite, um, you know, conjure up, <laughs> the energy I need to say a prayer on my own and mm. just like off the top of my head, what am I going to pray to God? Yeah. Like, is he even here right now? It's really nice to be able to, to lean on those prayers that are written out or prayers that, that, that people have been saying for, you know, for hundreds, maybe even thousands of years yeah. Yeah. and say like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say these words or I'm going to write down these words as an act of faith. Yeah. <laughs> this is, yeah. this is not yeah. like, okay, God, here it goes. Whether you're here or not, I'm going to say these words. And it's not like, you know, trying to conjure him up or conjure up some magical thing. It's just, okay, this is in front of me. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to do this as sort maybe even as an act of will. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, things like writing out, you know, the, you know, prayer of confession from the book of common prayer, saying mm-hmm. that out loud while I'm alone in my room or something like that. Like those have been really helpful and, and a way to, to help God and others who are also saying those prayers, you know, around the world, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, that's a way to, to kind of reattach to that closeness that we missed out on during yeah. COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah, that's really good. Thanks for sharing um, that. I feel like we could have just like another 15, 20 minute conversation <laughs> on like just the way that, uh, 
many in the evangelical tradition are starting like re mm. what's the word like yeah. we recognize yeah. and discover become more aware of mm-hmm. rediscover yeah. like some of these deeper liturgical traditions yeah. uh, which i think is cool to see yeah. um but for the sake of time sure. let's jump into the conversation mm-hmm. so i want to kind of introduce this as like again i come from or i guess presently Certainly, I you know grew up Baptist, independent Baptist, very conservative, very traditional. Work in mainline Protestant context, which again tends to be very kind of formal and liturgical and traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, being on Twitter, seeing kind of the a lot of the evangelical mm-hmm. movements, which probably you guys are familiar with and, and our listeners are too. Um, but I. I, I saw this kind of lately, and I've been reading some books around clergy burnout and clergy issues. Uh, and the biggest kind of like thing that I was kind of like unsure how to talk about it was one is like the idea of performing mm-hmm. as a pastor. So mm-hmm. like I was recently reading this blog by this this evangelical, and she was kind of lamenting kind of the worship scene, mm. which I imagine you guys can relate to. Certainly like over the last 10, 15, 20 years – and more large, more largely so in, you know, evangelical uh, worship spaces or church spaces. But this, this kind of idea, that, like you know, it's all production. The band is just performing. There's no authenticity to it. And I've wondered, like, what level of? Because again, I I think of myself as like a pastor. Like mm-hmm. when I'm up there speaking, like certainly there's some level of production or performance to what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to speak clearly, mm-hmm. you know, I'm working on my, mm-hmm. uh, my pauses and, and the pregnant pause and, mm-hmm. you know, pronunciating well. So there's some measure of performance to it as well. Um, but then we get into this issue of inauthenticity and is it all a show? So maybe uh, first you guys can just talk about like, cause you both have been in some pretty big, big spaces, I think, mm-hmm. with some measure of performance mm-hmm. expected. So why don't you guys first talk about, why don't you kick off, Paul, about kind of like Dare to Share and, and some yeah. of those things. And then, uh, Brian, you can share about your experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. The, so I've been in several environments where um, I'm performing music or theater, but within the context of a Christian event. Yeah, And so because of the context the type of performance is given a different kind of weight than if you were to just see it in a theater mm-hmm. or if you would, you know, or, or a school or something like that there. And, and that's really because of how our brains are wired and tuned in to religion and to spirituality uh, and, and how those things are operating in the background. And so I wasn't aware of all those things when I was performing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a Christian kid who just loved Jesus and loved perform and knew I was a performer and just loved performing. Um, but didn't realize the exchange that was happening. Mm. And so the exchange of, in terms of energy, the energetic exchange that was, mm. you know, I feel like I was, I was expending a kind of, uh, energy, that I wasn't aware of. Yeah. And it went on for, for a long time. I've been in ministry for just about as long as Brian has, somewhere around the 22, 23 years. Of, <clears throat> and, uh, and then as my faith is shifting and changing, 
you know, and I'm starting to contend with seeing the both the light and the dark side of that performance personality of me, mm-hmm. then it really uh, uh, it starts to take a toll on relationships. It takes a toll mm-hmm. on um, professionally, you know, what what I can do, what I can't do anymore. And it just, I don't think most, most people in ministry and pastors, um, they don't anticipate that. Yeah. I don't think any, anybody's thinking about so, those things. I mean, quite literally I'm back in the game, so to speak, after being out of mm. working for a church for a year. Mm-hmm. And like my first realization, like after a Sunday was like, holy cow, that's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it, and and it and it is because you are your brain is firing emotion on on these emotional cylinders mm-hmm. that and and I, I might be talking too much about the brain a lot. No, I've fine. just been reengaging with the um, nerd alert here. Yeah, yeah with the with the research from um, Andrew Newberg. If you've read his book, How God Changes Your no, Brain, name dropping. Yeah, oh, no, gosh. but Jeez. I highly recommend it. <laughs> uh, but. It's fascinating when we talk about ritual, when we talk about the physicality that's involved in ritual, mm-hmm. the rhythm rhythm that's involved in ritual, and the spiritual and emotional elements of ritual. Yeah. Like, they are ancient. They're as old as human beings, and those sort of things are active and involved in our brains. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think when you begin to learn those things, when you begin to sort of like have a community that walks through those things – the 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 awareness changes mm-hmm. and actually i think that the level of stress the level of of um wear wear and tear on it yeah. you know you you we i have terrible boundaries with the church right um so it's definitely been um wearing wearing on me so um yeah i think that's definitely an issue yeah so let's hang on to that i want to come back to that the toll but brian talk about kind of your experience yeah i, I mean i I went from, you know, I, I led worship at, you know, CCU Chapel mm-hmm. for three years. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, worship was always seen as leading worship and a, and a church service in and of itself was always seen as a performance. You know, yeah. like there was no difference between what I would see, you know, going to a, you know, a concert or going to a theater where you've got, you know, banks of chairs facing a, you know, raised platform where the people are performing. Right. Okay. That's what we do at church too. Right. So, um, and, and I think the thing is, you know, the people that, that are coming to church, they, they sort of want that. Yeah. Like they want a performance. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they want just, to be compelling. Right? They, they want, yeah. And that's, they, they want the pastor to be compelling. They want the music to be good. Um, they want, you know, everyone to, to look nice or look like them, you mm-hmm. know, like, yeah. So yeah, we do want, we want that. Um, and so there is this push and pull of someone who's on a platform to be like, okay, I, yes, I am here and, and I am in a way I'm performing yeah. for these people, yeah. but I want to do it in an authentic way. I want to do it in a way that that's, that's engaging and where I am presenting at least a part of myself that is real. You yeah. know, um, I think where, where I've gotten in trouble in the past is, you know, you do tend to, you fall in love with that stage a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And, and you, you know, this was, this was my experience at, at, you know, the 
the larger shirt. Uh, should I just say it? Just Everybody say it. Knows. Just say it. When I worked at Flatirons, yeah. Um, for for our listeners, Flatirons is one of the probably one of the two real like really big mega churches, at least in Denver Metro, mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. and one of the largest in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and and you know, granted, I was I was there before it was sort of the behemoth that it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there in, in sort of the the growing up phase. Um, or as I, you know, I used to tell people like, yeah, I was there when, when Flatirons went through puberty. <laughs> um, and, uh, and puberty does not look good on anybody. <laughs> right. It was a, You're it was a very knuckles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very just, hair was hair starting was, to pop out of places and we're like, where did this come from? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it, at first, you know, it was, yeah, I, it was just this very, the very first time that I led there, I wasn't on staff. I would, I had just been asked to come in and, you know, lead worship as a guest. And I didn't have any qualms about just showing up and saying like, yeah, this is, this is me. This is what mm-hmm. I do. This is how I lead worship. And I was able to retain that for some time. Um, but after a while, you know, it, it does start to the more kind of performance pressure that's mm-hmm. put on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the idea that like, okay, so, you did great this weekend. Now, how are you going to be that great or better next weekend? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and that, that starts to seep in and that's where you start to say like, okay, so what are some old, like, you know, kind of tricks that I can pull out of the bag? You know, what did I, you're starting to evaluate, like, what did I do last week that everybody seemed to like? Am I going to be able to do that again this week? Um, you know, and, and then the next week and the next week and the next week. And so you start to go back to that bag of tricks. And I think that's where the inauthenticity starts to, to, to creep in Mm -hmm. is when you start to say, you start to make it formulaic. You start to say like, okay, they really liked it when I did this or that or the other. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were things that I was doing that I didn't even know that I was doing, Mm -hmm. um, that were eliciting, you know, like an emotional response, you know, from people. And, and, you know, I, what our, our sound guy's wife was sitting like in the front row one Sunday and I was, I don't remember what song it was, but I, you know, I had this moment where I sort of, you know, step back from the mic and just kind of put my head down and made, you know, that face that worship leaders make of like, oh, this is, this is really intense. And no, oh, this spirit is moving in yeah, me. And, yeah. and she was like, she told me after the service, she was like, I, I just lost it. Cause I saw how emotional wow. you were getting. I didn't have the heart to tell her I was stepping back from the microphone to burp. <laughs> like, <Wow>. you know, <laughs> and so it's, Yes. It, yes. It's it's that kind of thing where yeah. it's like people see somebody on stage and they think like okay this person is in charge they know what they're doing and mm-hmm. oh they're being moved that moves me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there's this power that comes with it that yeah. I don't think any of us ever asked for mm-hmm. but but it's there. Yeah. And and so I just to go back to the original question like worship is like everything that we're doing on that stage is a performance. Like it always, I think it always has been. You Mm -hmm. look back at like the old Testament, like all that stuff that they're doing, these beautiful structures that they're building, the garments that they're crafting, like, Mm -hmm. and and like they're standing up and they're singing these things and they're saying these prayers and they're doing these rituals. They are performing those things, you know, and there's a lot of pomp and circumstance around it. Yeah. And so in that regard, yes. Do I think that, God wants us to bring a beautiful performance to him when we, when we come to those spaces in worship. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We've, we have, we've somehow combined that 
unfortunately with our our culture's notion of what a beautiful performance is yeah you know and so um and that's where i think again a lot of that in office inauthenticity starts to creep in and we're like okay how can i conjure something up here that's Mm going to make somebody have that you know have that sort of response that my you know my my friend's wife did um even though like i'm i wasn't crying i was burping you know (laughs) so um so yeah, I, I think it's a it's a slippery slope. I do think that everything that we we do when we stand on a stage is a performance, yeah. but it's how we offer it and how we are expressing it internally and yeah. personally in those moments that makes it authentic or inauthentic. Yeah, and the the response that we're trying to elicit. Yeah, what well, just makes me um, always amazed and grateful for is that that person, the, your the the sound engineer's wife. Um, was having actually a real moment. Yeah. Well, and absolutely. A real yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Brian was trying not to burp at the same time. <laughs> right. And and so it was something else happening. Mm-hmm. A yeah. lot of other factors. And I'm just like, what is in that moment? Yeah. It's just and, and I I think that's what a lot of a lot of people lose sight of, especially in those sort of those bigger environments. Um, you know, one of the things when I worked at Flatirons is everybody, and, and still to this day, there are some people that I encounter who find out that I work there, right? And they want to know like, what's the secret sauce? Yeah, like what's yeah. the thing that they're doing? Mm-hmm. Right? Because we want to point at all these like, well, it was the you know, it was the secular songs that we were doing to draw people mm-hmm. in, or it was the lights, or it was the yeah. you know, the great sound system, or or whatever that was. The thing is, is is you ask, you could ask the people who were coming, especially in in some of those early days, like, what is it? Like, when did you realize that this was your home? Mm-hmm. And every single, not every single one, but I would say 90% of the people that you ask, they would say, I don't know. I just, the second I walked through the door, there was something about this place that seemed, that seemed so real. And right. so that there is something that's happening on another level before we even, like before we played any of those songs and wowed us with all of our production and right. our performance, mm-hmm. before we did any of those things, the spirit was at work in that space, yeah. Drawing and 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 speaking to these people before any of that happened, and that's something that that would frustrate me when we would <laughs> spend hours in a planning meeting trying yeah. to figure out, okay, how do we, you know, how like you know this transition has to be right on, and this thing has right. to happen, and all this kind of. It's like, whoa, wait a second, how many people are actually even noticing all that stuff? Yeah. Um, because yeah, we, we lose sight of that thing that's happening on that other level or we'll make, you know, we'll, we'll sort of, you know, play lip service or pay lip service to it. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh yes, all we understand like the Holy Spirit's at work. God's doing something here. Great. How are we going to make it, yeah. you know, how yeah. are we going to make it awesome? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, again, I come at this from a, a pastoral perspective where I think about like, there's sometimes you preach a message and you're just like, boy, that was rough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And someone comes, you're just like, Oh man, Lauren yeah. really spoke to me. And you're just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but going back, I, I think it's interesting that you guys are highlighting kind of two aspects of this. Paul, you're speaking about kind of the toll that it can take. Mm-hmm. And then Brian, you kind of highlight, at least as I heard it, Falling in love with the stage. Mm. Um, I think mm-hmm. you guys should have on Chasing Sunday. Mm-hmm. Chuck DeGroat, who's done some great work on narcissism yes. in the church. Because mm. um, oh. certainly, I mean, I that happens. That, connection. that would be awesome. That happens on both sides, really. Mm-hmm. If we think about, again, uh, someone 
the preacher or the worship leader, so to speak, that can happen, I imagine, to both sides. Certainly mm-hmm. we see it happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's kind of dive in. So I've been reading a couple of books here on this, and I can't remember both titles. One is called Stuck. Um, another, I think, is just Clergy Loneliness or something like that. Mm-hmm. But they both kind of touch on this issue of mm-hmm. inauthenticity. Mm-hmm. And one quote here is that pastors must have the ability to express who they are um, but then the authors kind of say it may not be in their own church. So yeah. what do you guys think of that, Paul? Cause I know you, you're talking about kind of that toll. Yeah. Like, and that's something that I, I was reading about again and again, these pastors like feeling the toll of being like, I'm not being who I am in church. Yeah. I'm not being who I am. Yeah. Well, and I, I do think that is a piece of it is if they even feel like they're, they can be like 90% of themselves okay. at a church. They, they know that there is a chance that 10% is going to slip out mm. and somebody's going to see it, somebody's mm-hmm. going to hear it, or they've going to set it the wrong way or yeah. whatever. And then it could be a career ender, yeah. you know, whatever it yeah. is. But yeah. <clears throat> so there is the, that's what's called psychological safety, right? That's right. what business is talking about. When you don't feel like you have the safety to make mistakes, yeah. then you're you're going to be not at a, at a place for long. Now, I believed I had this this thing in my head that it was like um the church was going to be um sort of like the place that would never hurt me because Ooh, it was yeah. like it yeah, was there. you know, it was God's people yeah. and love was going to show and all this sort of thing. Now, I it didn't last very long, but at the same time there's like this dream, yeah. I guess, in my mind yeah. that's just hoping that this is going to be the case when in actuality, if I don't settle or not settle, if I don't accept, I guess, maybe settle, settle or accept, yeah. Yeah. Um, the fact that um, I'm not going to have that, I'm not going to actually have the freedom or peace that I really want mm-hmm. because I'm living in the fantasy, mm-hmm. you yeah. know? And so um, you just mentioning like, hey, you may not find your community at the place you work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's not terrible. You can go to work. You can offer yourself as authentically as you can. Often we're, Brian and I, we worship lead in in a bunch of different churches. And often we'll go, what can I affirm here? Yeah. What can I say? Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. And what things do I just have to go like, that's okay. I won't, I'm not, I'm not engaged in that. I'm not involved in that. Yeah. Um, it always makes me feel a little bit like I'm rationalizing or whatever. But at some point you make these decisions to be, you've made the decision for yourself to be healthier. Yeah. You're just kind of like, yeah, you know, but for me, I know I have to make this decision or else I'm going to be. I think that's a good distinction because again, uh, many of my listeners work again in mainline Protestant context, going to quote unquote liberal seminaries Uh and then working Mm -hmm. in like these older rural mainline churches that the congregation is often very conservative. And it's kind of like this, like, Whoa, how do I, mm. yeah. How do I be myself when I can't like preach on social justice every week? Right. Um, so Brian, I want to hear from you kind of about, not about, not that you are a narcissist by any stretch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me. I, oh, he, we I, don't have to I answer that. Probably question. am. I don't know. <laughs> no, don't. you're not. <laughs> how could, how do you advise someone who's like, man, I feel like I'm, if I'm being a performer here, I'm just like, um, I'm not being who I am or being, I'm, or I'm being self aggrandizing. Mm. 
Um, like, I don't know if this is a great example, but like my wife uh, has a good friend who's interestingly enough, like followed me to like two different churches. And I remember like the first time she came to church with my wife, she's like, who is that person up there? Like referring to me. Right. Cause she's like, he's such a different person on Sundays. Hmm. Again, getting to your point, you made a while back about like, we're all kind of performing and I know like I need to bring another level of energy right. and enthusiasm, excitement mm-hmm. to that Sunday morning experience, which my mainline friends are going to drive that hate that word, but um, the yeah. Talk more about, can you be authentic mm-hmm. and be performing? Yeah. I think you can, um, but again, it. I think it comes at a cost, mm-hmm. um, because not only you know Paul was talking about kind of the the exchange of energy that takes place when you're you know when you're on a stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of my story in in leaving Flatirons includes you know going through a divorce and you know kind of taking a year off from you know, from at least full-time ministry in a church. And, and you know, I helped out at, at several different churches as a you know, kind of contractor for a while. Um, and I, I made the decision very early on, like, I I don't really have anything else to lose hmm. by being fully myself mm-hmm. in front of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, while while working at Flatirons and, and and doing the things that I did there did take you know a, a tremendous amount of, of physical energy. Mm-hmm. Um, not I, I don't want to say it didn't take spiritual energy as well or emotional right. energy, right. but what I what I got really good at there was, you know, I'm I'm going to show you and and I talked to a, a therapist about this. Uh, you know what I'm going to do. It's to sort of like bring you in just a little bit closer. So I'm going to just show you a little bit. Yeah. Like I'm going to show you a little bit of my heart. I'm going to crack the door open just yeah. a little bit and show you like, see, I'm a mess too. Mm-hmm. But before they get too close, I'm just going to slam it shut, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that takes a toll as well, mm-hmm. you know, because you're, you know, you're not being fully yourself for those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're only giving away just a little tiny bit. You know, and so yeah. they, you're sort of building the mystery with that's like, ooh, Brian's like us, but he's not like us, you right. know, all that kind of stuff. That that took its toll um, on, you know, on my my married relationship, absolutely. Yeah. Um, because it's hard to differentiate between doing that from the stage and doing that in front of the people that you love, yeah. you know. Yes. <laughs> and so yes, next thing you know, it's like, okay, so I'm, I've learned how to do this really well, so I'll just do this with everybody. Yeah. Um. So I made the the conscious decision after I left there and and was going through just this train wreck of a period in my life where I just decided like, you know what, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Like the the people that I stand in front of and lead are either going to get all of it or they're going to get none of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I began to discover is that is incredibly liberating but it's also exhausting in its own right because yeah. anytime and, and not to get too like, you know, like there's devil behind every corner type of type of talk. But like what I was finding is I would, you know, I'd get up in front of a congregation and I would leave worship that way. And not that I would get up and just vomit all my stuff right. you know, every single time right. that I led worship, but you know, I was very open, like, Hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm going through a rough time right now. Yeah. And the thing is, is like just statistically, with what I was going through, 
half the people in that room were either going through it or mm-hmm. will be going through right. it or had been through it at some right. point. Mm-hmm. And so it's like that was there was an instant kind of connection there. Mm-hmm. And and they felt it, I felt it, but I also felt that it opened those those Mondays after <laughs> after those Sundays, I would feel so low. Yeah. Like I would feel so, like, why did I say all those things? Hmm. Why did mm-hmm. I open myself up in that mm-hmm. way? And so it was a different sort of, a, you know, I would always talk about, you know, you know, a lot of, a lot of Monday mornings when I was leading worship in bigger churches, you know, kind of that Monday morning hangover. Yeah. That was, it was a different sort of experience. While one was like, I was physically and, and, somewhat emotionally exhausted. This was, I was emotionally and spiritually exhausted because I, I had spent all of this, like I just, I'd poured it all out and I was doing that like almost every week and I was just so tired. And, and so, um, so I think that there's, there's a risk in, in doing that. I'm meandering all over the place in order for a pastor to be able to really get up on stage and be their authentic self, they have to know that they're safe. Mm. And I don't feel like I mean, the, the church is notorious for shooting its wounded. I mean, um, again, sorry to cut you off there, but again, I'm thinking again right. in my context of like mainline pastors, sure. again, many mainline churches are older white. Right. A lot of folks coming out of seminary, uh, at least in mainline contexts are um, often non-white Non-male, yeah, may not be, you know, may may not identify what what's the word on the binary, so to speak. So again, there's some great risks of absolutely showing up as your whole self there too. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So, but there's a like, but there's like a currency. I just from my my experience in the audience, I remember Brian uh, when you were releasing the album that you recorded begin again. Mm. Um, and I went to go see one of your shows and you performed that song. It was that really vulnerable one. Do you know which song that was? <laughs> I'm not, I'm was not joking. It, was it uh, drunk? Drunk. Okay. Drunk. It was that one. And it was different mm. in that moment mm-hmm. because he, he did what he just said. He did. He was like, I'm really going to do it. And it, there's performance, but there's authenticity, authenticity in mm-hmm. it. And the audience just magnetized like wow. right to it. And me too. And I was like, and I know him, but I know he's good at what he does and I can see this. And I also know as a performer too, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that cost him not going to have much left. And yeah. that's what every, in, in some respect, that's what we love about every performer that we see mm-hmm. is that they've opened a vein and mm-hmm. they bled for us. Hmm. And, um, but, Un- unfortunately, it creates a bit of a uh, dysfunctional relationship between us and artists mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. then w- we start to expect it as consumers. Yeah, And even in church, it's like then we start to expect it yeah. that what I'm going to get every week, every week is somebody bleeding in front of me. Right. And the pastor's going like, that's what the job is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then we wonder why they can't do it. And why they're going through PTSD right. and why, I mean, of course they are. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah. Well, and I want to, I, I do want to get back to, yeah, to yeah. what you're saying. Um, I think, you know, it, it is extremely difficult. And like I said, it, it takes some discernment. Like 
I'm not saying that every place that I went, I just got up and led worship, you know, with my heart just flayed open right. in front of everybody. It does take some discernment to know. Mm-hmm. Like if if you're a if you're a pastor in a church and you know that you're walking into a room where everybody like they have their expectations of you right. and they have their expectation of what the service should be like. Um, yes, you do need to be discerning and not just walk in and say like, all right, jerks, like this is how it's going to be from now on. <laughs> you know, um, that's, you know, my, my upcoming book, how to kill a church yeah, um, yeah. in, in one week or less. But um, <laughs> so it, it takes some discernment on the part of the the pastor and the leadership, but but they also need to to say like you also need to be willing to take some risks yeah because i i guarantee that the people like we we make a lot of assumptions when we stand on a stage in front of people um or when we start to lead a different church or we start mm-hmm. to lead a congregation um people are are probably more forgiving and more flexible than we give them credit for right but they need to see that modeled and they need to trust you before they're going to follow you to that space. Yeah, trust. and so so yeah. I think that if you can if you can start to establish trust, one by sort of playing the game that they've that they've come to expect to be played on a Sunday morning, yeah. uh, which feels a little bit like some selling out. Yeah, it's going to take some performance on your part, but you you can pepper in this like now this is how it's been, but yeah. this is where I feel like we could go. Yeah, you know, and this is where I. Because because all of us have these you know have these stories and we all have these things you know and so modeling that that modeling that unwillingness to hide yeah um, yeah you know because because we're all coming to church and we all want to hide in some way mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so whether that's I want to hide behind the sermon and say like you know well that sermon didn't you know it didn't speak to me it's like well what would have spoken to you and yeah. would you actually have been willing to accept that? You know? Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's this idea of the, the leader has to model that authenticity mm-hmm. and model what they want from the congregation. That sounds manipulative. Yeah. No model, model where they want this community to go and what they want that community to actually be. Right. Um, I think that's, that's super important and doing it gently and lovingly. Yeah. Like my, you know, my, my parents are coming out of a situation at their home church, the church that I grew up in, they hired a new pastor after 35 years of the same pastor. Um, they yeah, hired a, tough. Yeah. They hired a new guy and, you know, and then the pandemic hit and all of a sudden like Ouch. this switch just flipped and all of the changes that he wanted to enact, it was just, he was just railroading them all through, right. you know, and now he's gone yeah. <laughs> after yeah. I think two years, yep. the church is left in this just horrible position. They don't know what they're doing financially. They're almost ruined, like mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. And it's all because I don't think, uh, were the changes that he wanted to enact good? I think so for the most part, right. like he wanted them to be a more, you know, open you know, open their doors up to the community and and all that kind of stuff and be welcoming and starting a food pantry and all that. Those are all good things. Right. But the way that he went about it was just, I mean, he just slammed it down and said, this is how it's going to be. That's not good leadership. I think a good leader realizes and recognizes where their people are first before telling them like where where he wants them to go, yeah. Uh, sorry, uh, him or her. Sorry, let me be. There we go. There we go. Let me be more yeah. inclusive. No, that I, that's it. Well, so one couple concepts I've come across recently that I think kind of speak to this challenge is one: this idea of layered relationships, mm. which 
for for our listeners, just real quick, explain the term. It's basically like you know, um, I'm not going to share, or I'm going to share something with my wife. I may not share with one of my good friends, and that I won't even approach, like with someone right. in my congregation. Um, I think this is a really, you know, again, this is what's interesting about the different um, faith traditions, perhaps, Brian yeah, Paul, is like yeah. mainline traditions are very, the, the clergy are really taught, like, don't be friends with the congregation, mm, like, yeah. keep a keep a real stiff, clear boundaries. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, in, in evangelical spaces, at least as I see it, yeah. it's more like, hey, we're all friends, we're all buddies, like, let's go hang out. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, and... Come into my office yeah. and stay a little late. Yeah, you know, right. obviously that's it, where those it can trouble, lead. Like, it can right. lead to that's that. Right. Yeah. But that was something I didn't really hear ever, Lauren, yeah. until I started working with you at Mission Catholic. Yeah. And I was like, well, that actually sounds like a great idea. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, you guys have been doing this? Yeah. <laughs> you mean there awesome. can be space that exists between the yeah. people? That... So uh, yeah. like this idea of a layered relationship, do you think like – I think it makes sense. Do you think yeah. like I know it's sometimes hard for congregants, parishioners, whatever word we want to call yeah. the church folk to understand like mm. do you think that's something helpful for however uh, the quote unquote performer is the pastor, the worship leader, the l- yeah. liturgist mm-hmm. to think through maybe in those terms. I, I there's a great it's a quote by Adrian Rich that we talk a lot about in my house and it she says something to the degree of um, it's not that we have to know everything that we have to share or that we have to share everything or or we have to share all the things with with um uh, with everybody but we're always thinking about but sort of like she's talking about hospitality but I also think you could even broaden it out to like what what even the the goal of maybe gospel sharing or evangelism is, is that we're constantly expanding the boundaries of truth Hmm. and of hope between us. Mm -hmm. But then it doesn't necessarily mean everything all at once. Mm -hmm. That's, that to me is uh, another, another form of, well, it's just no boundaries. And again, another great, great woman, um, Brene Brown, when she says vulnerability um, without boundaries is not vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's that's another thing that took, and that's was reinforcing why that seemed to be a great idea to have yeah. those relationships. Yeah. It's funny how I know those things, but don't behave that way mm-hmm. often in in ministry. I still feel like I've got to let everybody know all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a hard habit to break if you've, if you've kind of came from that. Yeah. 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 I, this is hard for me too. Cause again, coming from a, you know, strictly, well, not strictly, but mostly evangelical background. Right. Um, you know, yeah, it is like Jesus was friends with everybody that he, right. you know, that he came across, like we should be the same. Like, so let's all dive in and be as close as we can to everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there are some, I think there's some faults to, you know, kind of that model of, you know, the pastor shouldn't be friends right. or have close relationships with right. anybody in his congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that not only does that breed, you know, sort of this disconnect between you and the people that you're leading, right. but it can also breed this, you know, just huge isolation, like, which well, is, yeah, which is just running rampant right. in, in, in ministry that's, culture. Uh, my next podcast. Yeah. Thank you for plugging, Brian. Yeah. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> About isolation. Um, well, they're going to be uh, 
to, sorry, no, that's to all right. take your train of Tease thought, it. but yeah, Tease it. like, <laughs> yeah, I literally have two books that I've been reading, going to get the authors on about clergy loneliness and isolation. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And, and that wow. isolation looks sort of like what Paul was saying that can breed all kinds of unhealth, right? you know, um, not, you know, you just look at the news, you know, it's like, um, you know, that, that leads to, to so many dangerous places for, um, and, and I feel like almost all of those are bred out of a place of isolation and that's not, that's not exclusive to, to mainline churches. No, like no. Mm-hmm. we see that happen in, in the evangelical church as well. In this fascinating way, like <laughs> that you can be, very gregarious, very extroverted, and still be profoundly lonely. Mm-hmm. I, 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 it, this book, both we were reading um, from Strength to Strength, mm-hmm. Arthur Arthur Brooks, and he talks about how he was on this vacation with his with his son, and his he saw his son saw him texting on a boat, and he said, "Who are you texting?" He was like, "I was just texting a friend." And his son says, "Is that a real friend or a deal friend?" <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like nailed, yeah, yeah. nailed yep. because. All of my friendships mm-hmm. were ministry connected, mm-hmm. yeah. and I and I was like, "Oh crap!" And then I started going, "I don't really have any friends, yeah, that of people I'm not working with, mm-hmm. you know, or people in this field. Like, there's nobody I can who's not going to be threatened if I or who has any dog in that fight if right. I change my mind about God or if I yeah. change my mind about a particular doctrine. Yeah, they can just be my friend through right. that." That's what I'm thinking is, especially as people move into their mid-30s and then through middle age, it's hard to make friends. Especially guys. Mm -hmm. Guys, especially. So, I mean, that's what I was thinking about when you say that. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I I don't think there's an easy answer to that because it's just, maybe it's because I've just never done it well. Yeah. because I've never seen it modeled well, you yeah. know, either yeah. because I don't think anybody really knows how to do right. it. That's right. Um, and so I do think that again, maybe it's just a, it's a matter of discernment and letting that come into play and, and saying like, okay, like I know that with, with these people, <laughs> with this group of people, I can only go like, it's probably a bet. It's probably best if I only go this far mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, but with these people, I know, like, I know that, I know that with Paul, like mm-hmm. when I'm with Paul when I, and I have a, a very small group of friends that I know, mm-hmm. I can like, that's where I can go. I can do the deep dive. That's yeah. where I can share the really awful stuff. That's yeah. where I can mm-hmm. really go. Um, and so, and I know like even serving at, at New Denver, um, I, I, I'm getting to that place of knowing my culture and my community well enough. Like, okay, I know that with, with so-and-so like they're, they're probably not ready to hear all of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're probably not ready yeah. to get, you know, full unadulterated Brian, yeah. you know, <laughs> but I do know that like there are some members of my worship team or there are some people on staff. I know like, yes, they, they know me <laughs> to probably to their detriment. They know me well enough that I can, that I can be completely and fully myself. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just finding that balance and being discerning about where you go, but, but to completely cut it off, you mm-hmm. know, that that's where it becomes, I think just really dangerous and unhealthy. Yeah. Uh, there has to be a level of connection both with your congregation and with those, those close personal confidants. Um, it, it just, you just have to hold that in balance and be discerning about when and where you can, you can offer those kinds of that kind of openness yeah. to people. So, uh, 
And an illustration here I came across recently that I think y'all will relate to is, again, they talked about this metaphor of being on stage, mm-hmm. backstage, and then off stage completely. Mm-hmm. So like, again, I think about this for myself, like so I'm an, I'm, I'm an introvert, like hundred mm-hmm. percent introvert. Like I like people, but I'd be happy reading books all day and, mm-hmm. you know, being solo. I don't mind mm-hmm. Sunday mornings. I'm extrovert as I can be, especially when I'm out front or amidst the congregation. Yeah. Um, even when I'm like pre-service, I'm, pumping my energy, like trying to rally, rally around, like whatever, who else uh, is serving Mm -hmm. that day. So backstage, but I know like Sunday afternoons, and this is perhaps sometimes conflict in my own household is like, I need that off stage. Mm -hmm. Um, So you guys are doing something, I think, or I guess, A, do you, does that, does that kind of metaphor or illustration resonate? And then B, uh, one of the authors I read really advocated for that kind of like, off stage group where you can be yourself Um, for clergy, for pastors. It can really be like a a clergy group. You guys are doing something I think that really resonates called the green room. Yeah. Why don't you talk about a, like how you envision that fitting into this kind of idea? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, absolutely resonates with, with us. And it's definitely a lot of language that we use with, uh, with worship leaders and creatives that we see. Um, the green room is uh, a part of a, a, a theater's design, mm-hmm. um, and then has uh, as as churches continue to build, they start right. to build in green rooms. And a green room is traditionally where the cast is going to meet before the show. Mm-hmm. So they're they're not in their dressing rooms; they're just kind of in the in the green room. It's where meetings happen, but often on a tour or at a church. It's the place where you're not on stage, obviously, um, mm-hmm. but you're close. You're you're stage adjacent, yeah. Um, so yeah. you're close, but you're not on stage. And it's typically what I've found is when the best conversations happen mm. because you're you're working. The thing about a group, um, you get close with people you're working with, mm-hmm. right? So you're you're working on a similar project or on a similar mission, but there's downtime. And in that downtime, you're talking about whatever you think, or you're laughing, right. or you're just making making jokes, and um, those are those are very powerful times for team building, for um, building long term relationships. Um, and so, what we decided to do was make this group called the Green Room, which is really about coaching. It's it's helping people for in their on stage moments mm-hmm. um, when they're on stage with teams, when they're on stage literally in a church. Um, but they also need the off stage. Yeah. Now it's still not off stage. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's it really is in the building. Um, because we're talking about how does it in- increase? But you're your... encouraging people while they're in the green room, while they're quote unquote backstage. To, yeah. To get those off stage, a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's you know, it all kind of centers around this idea of um, kind of spiritual formation. Um, and, and taking, taking time, um, mm-hmm. because that those are, I feel like those are two things that are in very short supply yeah. in, in modern worship ministry, just in modern worship, modern ministry in general, yeah. um, is that, 
you know, we, we have, you know, a world of conferences and books and resources and, and, you know, online things that the people can go to for, you know, a weekend or for, you know, three or four days midweek, um, to kind of get your batteries recharged and find out some cool resources and find out what that, you know, the, the cool big church down the street is doing and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and all of it is very practical and all of it is, is designed to make, you know, your, your Sunday morning service, you know, look and feel and sound great right. and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to spiritual formation or your spiritual health, um, you know, that's, Oh, by the way, there's a book for sale in the lobby about that. Um, you know, or, or we'll have a, you know, we'll have a breakout during right. lunch, uh, that you can go and, and talk, you know, talk to somebody about that. And so what you have and what we have seen, um, is, you know, worship leaders, pastors who are, you know, they're able to pull off a great event, mm-hmm. you know, or a great experience, uh, right. to make your, your listeners angry. Um, you know, a great experience on Sunday morning, but they go home on Monday and they just feel dead inside, yeah. you know, and, and that can only happen for so long. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so we wanted to create a space for worship leaders in particular, um, to, to stop and actually find some care for their souls and, and walk through a process of, of spiritual formation that hopefully can help them recognize some of those unhealthy patterns of, you know, trying to, you know, trying to achieve something great for their church right. and, and, and build their, their ministry or build their life that way. Or is it better if you find a space where you can rest in who you are in Christ and, and in the acceptance that he offers, um, and, and find out how your ministry can thrive in that way, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just trying and trying and trying and trying and trying, and then hopefully cashing in your 403B someday. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and it's a real deep there, yeah. 403B mm-hmm. so, clergy yeah. savings. Yeah. I just, <laughs> just a deep cut. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that, that's really the, the heart behind the green room, mm-hmm. um, is, is just create that space where they can actually be filled as opposed to constantly having to pour out. Um, and, and that's, that's where, yeah, I mean, Paul and I both had been in that place of, you know, I was introduced to this concept of, of, uh, you know, I think it's Bernard of Clairvaux who talks mm-hmm. about like, we are to be reservoirs, not canals. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, a reservoir allows itself to be filled you know, mm-hmm. before anything is sort of offloaded or, yeah. you know, kind of poured out of it as a, you know, my, my model for ministry was yeah, you're, a, you're a canal, out. God, yep. God will pour it into you. And then as soon as it's there, you're pouring it out into somebody else. Yeah. And that's just an exhausting way, yeah. not only to do ministry, but to do life. And, right. and, yeah. you know, we, we get to this place where we feel like, you know, running on a quarter tank actually feels full, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, but we're just constantly filling it partially yeah. because we're, we're always pouring it back out. Right. So, yeah. um, so we wanted to create this space for worship leaders, maybe someday for, you know, for other people in ministry, mm-hmm. um, worship leaders, that's who we know. That's what right. we are. Right. But, um, but I feel like this is something that, that, that so many in the church could benefit from yeah. just because we are, we we can't we can't continue this way, or we're going to continue to burn through people in ministry. Yeah. yeah. So you name two things that are, I think that really speak to some of the challenges we talked about earlier. Is a like time, like Paul, you talked about the toll. Brian, you talked about the toll mm-hmm. and the cost. Like with that toll, with that cost, you need some time to kind of like recharge. 
your batteries. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you need some spiritual formation to not feel like you're just selling your soul yeah. mm-hmm. every week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let me ask one more question and then we'll take a break here. Um, what advice do you have for, for pastors, like for non-musicians mm-hmm. who are like, hey, I want to improve in my craft, but I don't want to feel like I'm just like out there performing. Oh, like improve in the craft of a right. Perform- like, uh, yeah. Can, can it be both? Can I be authentic and performing yeah. kind of thing? Uh, my recommendation is take an acting class. Oh yeah, mm. definitely. Because the thing about, well, as, as acting evolved like this, right. Okay. You know, in Greek times, they spoke from behind a mask. Uh-huh. That's, where we get the word hypocrite. That's right. Hippocrates was the, the actor who spoke behind, behind a mask. The, <clears throat> then there was a chorus and everybody spoke. Then after that, the, the first actor with a solo line was Thespis. Hmm. Uh, that's where we get the word thespian oh, and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So as that, as that continues to evolve, the actor is working on making, uh, um, like Shakespeare would say, like a mirror to nature. Hmm. Um, to Hamlet, <clears throat> Hamlet says, make yourself a mirror to nature. So you're less false and more your real self, but there is craft to it. Interesting. So it does require the same level of energy and all mm-hmm. this stuff, but, um, you, you begin to learn things about breath control, mm-hmm. articulation. You think about how you you make peace with the fact that you're just an authentic version of yourself. You're not your whole self mm. there. Um, so uh, acting does a lot to help you understand that you're never in a monologue either. You're always in a scene mm. um, with, uh, with a bunch of other people. So it helps you contextualize what that event is. And to me, there's really no difference between what's happening in a theater and what's happening in a church service. Mm. They're all meant to elicit the same sort of Changes in our brain, mm-hmm. changes in in our ethics and lifestyle. Um, so that's my that would be my uh, or at, at least a voice and diction class. You that's know? good. That yeah, that's good. good. Uh, Brian, for you, yeah, I I don't know if I have any like specific resources. Um, I mean, yeah. And I I had a thought in my head, and then it just left as I thought about how smart Paul is. <laughs> uh, hey, yo. I'm hey yo. so intimidated. Um, by, by, I, I am. Uh, yeah. I, I think, well, I, I will give a, a, a resource, a, a book that I read years ago uh, by Larry Crabb called the pressures off. Uh-huh. Um, that was, that was hugely helpful for me. Um, in just like, you you don't you don't always have to be the guy or the gal that's mm-hmm. on all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's okay for you to have, you know, an off Sunday, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. it, it's it's okay like none of this is going to like the world's not going to end. Your church isn't going to, you know, shutter its doors because you didn't exposit you know, Luke really well that day, right. you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, try to take the pressure off yourself a little bit. Um, and, and there can be ways that you can do that even within your service. I, you know, I, this isn't as much of a problem. I feel like in, in mainline churches, at least in evangelical churches, it is where like the sermon is the high point, right? Yeah. Like the sermon right. is the thing. Right. Um, 
it doesn't have to be that way. Like lean into your, lean into your team, lean into the people who are around you, um, start to recognize some of the folks that that are, that are gifted within your community who can take some of that load off of you, mm-hmm. you know, who can, who can help rem- remove some of that pressure that you're feeling. Um, and, and so that's, you know, it's not as smart of an answer as Paul. Um, but, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, take, take the pressure off yourself and, yeah. and, and just rest in, in the fact that like you're, you're, you're already there. Like you're already like you're in your church. Yeah. Like, this is where you are and, and it's fine. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be the end of the world if you have one, you know, one kind of off, off day. Yeah. So. yeah. You know, I'm thinking of before we wrap up here with a break, I'm just thinking of you guys use the illustration of the green room, which mm-hmm. again is being very foreign to some mainline folks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but in many mainline congregations that will have like a, uh, what they call like a pastoral relations committee or a mm-hmm. pastor parish committee or huh. different acronyms, which I think could be like a quote unquote green room yeah. for pastors, sure. like a healthy, one of those groups, like you're going to be a little bit more authentic, mm-hmm. you're a yeah. little bit more honest. Yeah. And they can kind of help you advocate for when you're back quote unquote on stage or yeah. on, on chancel. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. Uh, Again, my guests have been Brian Davis and Paul Rumble-Levitt. Let's come back uh, with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Paul Rumble-Levitt and Brian Davis. So, guys, this has been some fabulous conversation here. Um, for sake of time, let's make these quick hitters. So, okay. Okay. Paul, you have to limit your brilliantness uh, here. <laughs> Good Lord. Like, what is it? Where, okay, it where Paul, am I? Paul, you'll have to limit your brilliantness. Brian – just let it fly. It's fine. Brian, try really hard. <laughs> do, do your best, Brian. Just do your best. God. Uh, well, how about this? I'll let, I'll let Brian go first. There we go. Okay, Brian, if you're Pope for a day. Oh, I've been dreading this question. What does that day look like? What do you want to do? Oh, I mean, you're wearing a hat right now, so I'm, you can decide right. you want to yes, wear the sir, hat. I'll, I'll, Puff it up go. a little it's bit. Um, gosh, if I was Pope for a day. Uh just I, gosh, I, I have too many. I have too many like pictures in my head from like watching the Da Vinci Code and like <laughs> oh, all those boy. kinds of things. So it's like, you know, oh, I I'd, I'd tell everybody all the secrets. Like yeah. I okay. let it all. I yeah. just let it all yeah. out. Like all the all the oxen free. <laughs> yeah. There you go. The library's open. Uh, yeah. Have good. at it. There so, you go. That's Paul. Good. Um, I would sell all the art and most of the property, and I'm sure they'd have a couple. We'd have a couple of debts to settle. Yeah, <laughs> so probably you'd yeah, both be yeah. heretics the next day for sure. Uh, Absolutely, yep, yep. I Absolutely. don't mind that. I'm a her- heretic uh, now, yeah, so right? I'm used yeah. to it. Yeah. Okay, a theologian or a Christian figure you want to meet or bring back to life? Mm. Um, yeah, I thought about this one a lot. Uh, Henry Nowen was the one okay. that came to mind yeah. for me. His writing. Uh, is just so, uh, is just so gentle and just so like, I I just feel like I'm being like just hugged by an old friend yeah. when I read his writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, that would be, that would be mine. It's good. That's one. good. Uh, I probably James Baldwin for me. James Baldwin. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? <sighs> Does it have to be good things no, that they remember? No. Um, yeah. I think they'll remember how how we reacted or didn't react and respond to a lot of the current 
cultural and societal mm. um, upheaval that's mm-hmm. been happening. Um, and yeah, I don't know if we'll be looked back upon positively, mm. unfortunately. Um, actually, I think this might be the time where uh, uh, everybody will, will see, okay, that's where they couldn't pretend anymore. Mm. That's where they yours couldn't is, hide anymore. Is like, that's, uh, that's so – mine is like, yeah, everybody's going to look back and see how bad we sucked during this time. No, but it, is, when, uh, yeah. it is that way because it's right. just like, oh, my gosh, everything is on fire. Yeah. Everything is dark. Yeah. I, I don't know. At moment by moment, I'm thinking – and this is like we're recording this in election season, right. you know, and, mm-hmm. and so – Seven days, in like seven that. In yeah. seven days. But I was reminded of a very nice and hopeful way to think about it. It's like when, it's not things are breaking down. Uh, grief is the first is the first step of creation. Yeah. So mm. it is actually in this stuff where things are actually being owned up, and we can't see it. I, I hope. I hope that's the case. Yeah. That we don't just go back and this is and think this was an anomaly. This could actually be where things change. Very hopeful. So, yeah. Very good. hopeful. Um, what are your hopes for the future of Christianity? Um, I hope that we can find a a better way to engage with our political systems, mm-hmm. at least within in America, mm-hmm. um, a healthier way, a more hopeful way, a more Christ-centered way mm-hmm. to engage in that conversation. Um, that That's probably one of the things that scares me the most yeah. about uh, where the church is at right now on both ends of, you know, kind of the political spectrum, left mm. and right. There's got to be, I feel like Jesus almost always engaged us in the middle mm-hmm. and above, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not not on this like linear plane mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we seem to like playing on so much. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, that that's, I'm I'm hopeful that we can find a way to, to engage in those mm-hmm. conversations in a more Christ-centered uh, and Christ-focused way. Mm. Um, I, I know this sounds crazy when I say it, um, but I truly mean this. I, I really um, hope for the end of Christendom. Hmm. Um, and that hmm. doesn't mean I hope for the end of the church. I don't see them as the same thing. Yeah. Um, I think Christendom is a uh, – I think it's one of those principalities and powers maybe Whoa. Paul was talking about. Ooh. Like I want it gone. Wow. Uh, I want something that's like more of an embodied faith. Um, hmm. I want – I think probably – I hope more mothers are leading and less mm-hmm. fathers are leading mm-hmm. the church. Um, more, more living with marginalized people from the mm-hmm. um, obscurity and not in the spotlight. And um, yeah, and then I, I think I would be happy if everything looked a little bit more like Father Greg Boyle's Homeboy mm-hmm. Industries, yeah. and that's mm-hmm. what we had for the church. Yeah. That's what I'd like. Well, usually, yeah. like the most hot take of those answers is like abolish the papacy. <laughs> ending christendom that's pretty that's pretty, you just yeah. went Whoa. straight for the jugular yeah yeah that's good that's got us some good thinkers but yeah. other than that give us a lot of garbage yeah. yeah no yeah i mean just yeah re reclaim the church needs to reclaim its place on the fringes mm-hmm. i think is is i would i would yeah. add to that Paul. yeah, yeah. That's so, good. definitely that's good where can uh where can folks find out more about you and connect with you green room all that mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they can find out more about uh, our ministry uh, at torncurtainarts.org. Um, and uh, if you are a worship leader listening to this, um, or you're a pastor and you think your worship leader could benefit from it, uh, green, greenroomleaders.com 
Um, they can find out more about that there. Yeah. Um, I, I sounds, I, I hate doing this. Paul mentioned my music. Um, yes. You can find, yeah. uh, you can listen to some of that, uh, on Spotify. Uh, if you search mm-hmm. the Brian Davis band, um, if you just search Brian Davis, you come across a country artist, um, <laughs> whose, uh, whose songs include one good beer and get plowed. So that is not me. Uh, search the Brian Davis band. But and, you've got to be on the next and, album. You've just got to do <laughs> it. Just got to <laughs> so people don't know. These um, so anyway, the Brian Davis band on Spotify, Apple music, all those, all those places. And you can listen to some of that, uh, there. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, uh, all the things that Brian said, and I've also got a new site called paulromaclevitt.com. Whoa. I you, put you a paulromaclevitt.com. <laughs> I just finished it. It's just a, it's just a resume. Okay. And then it's got, but it's start, I'm starting to put my old blogs on there too, because I'm, I'm writing a lot now. Which so. are brilliant. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, this is the first time again, I get to in person leave someone with a word of peace. So mm-hmm. may oh. God's peace be with you. Mm-hmm. Thank, Thank you, you, Lauren. It's and been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace.